All right. Hallelujah. One more thing before you grab your Bibles. <laughs> and that is stop out at our table out there in the foyer uh, after the, the service this morning. We have a lot of things there you can take with you. Got a special on everything on the table. You buy one item, you can get a second item, uh, half price. Um, this set is called The Gifts of the Holy Spirit. I believe it will really help you with that whole subject. We cover all nine gifts of the Spirit that are mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And I uh, have amazing help in this set from a senior father in the faith, Pastor James Hessler from Dickinson, North Dakota, uh, he does two of the messages in here, and I do four of them, and uh, it'll be a great blessing to you. We've got a set out there called Healing for the Whole Person, and uh, it goes after the subject of healing from several different angles. I know you know not everything that goes wrong with the human body happens the same way, and we try to cover the waterfront uh, with this set, and uh, that'll be a great blessing to you as well. We've got a uh, flash drive out there. It's in this holder right here that has all the stuff on the table, including some things that aren't on the table, all of my books. Uh, that'd be one of them that also is not on the table, but it's all on the flash drive, so check that out afterwards. If you would like to receive our newsletter, we send them out every three months. They look like this. And by the way, take one with you today. They're free. And uh, if you'd like to receive it, just sign up on the clipboard there. And we will start mailing those out to you. Hallelujah. Look at your neighbor right now and tell him, I'm glad you came today. Hallelujah. Absolutely. I'm glad too. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> A good day in the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Let's make this confession together here as we start today. Say this right out loud. Say, in the name of Jesus, I choose today to believe the word of God and to act in the Holy Spirit as I live my life on this earth. Thank you, Father, for the power of your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, we're going to talk this morning about identity theft. I know you understand that's a huge problem in our society right now. Not millions, but billions of dollars every year are stolen from people who get their identities taken in the dark web and other means, and uh, we're constantly struggling against this. But there is a, another form of identity theft that is far worse than getting your credit card number stolen. It's getting your real identity stolen. So we're going to start here today by saying there are two fathers that want to define your identity. There is, first of all, the father of lights. He's called that in James chapter 1. You don't need to turn there right now. The father of lights wants to give you his identity. He is the one who made you in the first place. 
He is the one who loves you. He is the one who sent Jesus into this world so that we could know him in a personal and close-up and intimate way. The father of lights. But there's another father called the father of lies. Jesus calls him that in John chapter 8. And he warns us about this false father. You see, he has an identity that he wants to give too. The identity from the father of lights is an identity of goodness, of peace, of mercy, of truth. The identity from the father of lies is an identity of corruption. It's an identity of death. It's an identity of rebellion against the things of God. And I'm here to tell you today, there's good news in this word, hallelujah. So let's go to the next slide here, please, and let's turn to the Gospel of Malachi. That's what I like to call it. It's kind of like a fifth gospel there before <laughs> our four gospels. And I want you to read with me the last two verses of the entire Old Testament. This, this is how the whole 39 books of the Old Testament end up. It, it is highly, highly important. It says this in verse 5. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Friends, I declare to you today that this prophecy was fulfilled. In fact, in the Gospels themselves, it tells us how John the Baptist came and began the fulfillment of this prophecy by introducing Jesus and how Jesus came here to show us the Father. But in the process of that, turning the hearts of human fathers to their sons and their daughters and turning the hearts of those children also to their fathers. And there is a reason why it is fathers that are mentioned here in this prophecy and, it, and why it came about that way in the fulfillment. You see, every person that comes to birth and to life in this planet needs two parents. I'm going to disagree freely with some things that are being told to us in our larger culture out there today. I'm going to go with the Word of God. How many are with me here today? Every person needs two parents. You need a mother and you need a father. You need a mother because you need to be nurtured into this world. That's what mothers are equipped to do. Emotionally, mentally, even physiologically, mothers are equipped to carry their child and bear it into the world and then nurture it and cause that child to grow up and be strong from the nurture standpoint. Fathers were not equipped for that. I thank God for that every day. When I see my sons that are now grown men, I say to my wife, thank you, dear, <laughs> for all of that travail and all that pain you had to go through to bring these guys into the world. But that's the way God created it. But there is a side to the fathers that was not 
put into the mothers, and that is identity. Fathers have an assignment from heaven. Whether they're accepting it or not, they have it. It's welded into the created order. Fathers give identity. And if you want to understand confusion in this world that we live in, it is mothers trying to give identity and fathers trying to give nurture. It doesn't work. I'm here to tell you today that the Word of God can straighten us out. The Word of God can bring the purpose of God to pass for us. And fathers, we need to understand that we are the ones to weld into our sons and into our daughters the reality of who they are, how they stand in this human race, and how they stand before God. We fathers are the ones that are responsible to tell them they can do this, they can accomplish this. There, there is a purpose in your life, son. There is a, there is a will of God, daughter, that, that God is bringing forth and cause them to believe that from a very young age on. That's largely the role of the father. And fathers, I declare to you today that there is a purpose of God, whether you are... <laughs> Whether you're a young father here today or whether you're a grandpa or a great-grandpa here today, there is a place for you to plug into this message and go to a higher level in providing identity into the generation that is below you. It is desperately needed. Next slide, please. Matthew chapter 3. Let's read a couple of verses there. How many of you believe Jesus is our example? Wave at me if you believe that today. Hallelujah. Jesus came, the perfect representation of the Father to this earth. He said that himself. But I don't know if you've ever noticed this in the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus did no miracle. Jesus did no teaching. None of the stuff of his ministry that we all know so much about from the Gospels, none of that happened until one very important thing happened first. And I'm going to tell you today that the Godhead itself, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, especially the relationship between the Father and the Son, the Father did not withhold their relationship from the needs and the issues and the things that are going on with us. That's how far Jesus came into this human race of ours in becoming a man. Friend, you should rejoice in that. Jesus came all the way down in his humanity, and he never ceased being God. He's the God-man. He is the Son of God, but he is also God the Son. But as a son... Jesus stood to receive the Father's approval before he did anything. Let's read it in uh, Matthew chapter 3 and verse 16. It says, When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus' identity and the very nature of his mission is contained in these words. 
and they come from the Father. Jesus stood forth to begin his ministry under the Father's favor, under the Father's approval. That's why the Pharisees couldn't defeat him. That's why no disease or no infirmity could stand against him. Can you say amen to that today? That's why he could stand up and begin to forgive people's sins. That drove the religious guys really nuts. <laughs> He's forgiven sins again. Look at this. How could he do that? Because he knew who he was. The Son of God and God the Son, standing under the Father who sent him down here, who gave him every approval and every statement of his favor upon his life. I mean, think of the birth of Jesus. I don't even have this in the notes here, but the birth of Jesus. The father says, my son's being born. Can you imagine this eternal being of the father, the eternal being of the son and of the spirit in heaven, and yet the father is up there, hey, my son's being born today. You know, you're like, how can the son of God be born I mean, he has to come down here and be put in the womb of the Virgin Mary. And the day he's born, what happens? Heaven opens up again. Angels sing. Shepherds are on their faces as the glory of God is, is coming on the earth. That's what you call a, a really pretty great birth announcement. Amen. <laughs> Christmas, here it is. Whoa, baby. The Father's favor, the Father's approval. And Jesus had it. If you want to understand why Jesus' ministry, last night we understood that he stood at the intersecting point of power and authority, but here's another aspect of it here today. How can the ministry of Jesus look just so wonderful and awesome and amazing as it is? It's because Jesus only operated under the Father's approval, under the Father's authority, but also under his favor. Hallelujah. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Can I tell you something very important here today? Through Jesus, it is God's will for that statement of the Father to be said over every son and over every daughter on this earth. He would love to say that over you today. Now, there are some things that might prevent that. Let's, let's go, go on here to the next slide. Satan even attempted it with Jesus. You think of that slime ball, Satan. Here's Jesus. All these things I've just said have happened. Okay, the, the birth of Jesus and the angels and the shepherds and the wise men and all that stuff. And, and now the father, 30 years later, the father pronounces, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. But Satan is there to try to Give the false identity. To depend on another father for your identity. Look at what Satan does in the temptation in the wilderness in, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 3. He says, it says, now when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the son of God. Was there ever any question about it? Not until Satan raised this, if you are the son of God. And my friends, that's what Satan wants to do to every son and every daughter that would want to draw near to this father to make them doubt that God doesn't care about you. What Satan wanted Jesus to believe is, look, you're down here on this earth. Look at you. You're in a human body. You have to eat food. 
you get cold, you get hungry. The Bible tells us this about Jesus. He was fully human just as we are, and yet he never sinned. Hallelujah. He also was always at every moment the son of God as well. But Satan wanted him to get his eyes off of that and to get his eyes on another father. Why don't you listen to me and command these stones to be made bread? Depend on your own resources to take care of yourself if you are the Son of God. Remember that, friends. The next time you're tempted to believe a little bit less about what it means to be a son of the Father, to be a daughter of the Father. And let me talk about that for a moment here today because... So much of this is expressed in the terms of sons, okay? So daughters here today, there's a time for you to just let yourself be a son in the collective sense, okay? You should be okay with that because all of us men are the bride of Christ as well, you know? So we, we're taken in on that, that side too, amen? It's, it's true. So you you got to let this, this uh, group happen the way it is, it's expressed. But Jesus says, uh, the devil says, if you are the son of God, command these stones to be made bread. Jesus is in no doubt about his identity, even though Satan is trying to cause him to question it. Jesus answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. In other words, devil, I know my identity and you're not it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Look at verse 6. The devil said to him again, if you, are, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Let's just challenge that identity. Maybe you really aren't the Son of God, Jesus. Jesus stands firm in that identity, and Jesus quotes Scripture with its true meaning, not a false meaning that Satan gave to it here, and says, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Hallelujah. You see, it is from the certainty of your identity that you defeat Satan and his temptations knowing who you are, knowing where you stand, knowing what God has done to establish you as a son and daughters, you too, hallelujah, standing in this righteousness and in this glory. Okay, next slide, please. Over to Luke chapter 11. Luke, uh, excuse me, chapter 15 of uh, Luke, the parable of the prodigal son. Can I just tell you today that when Jesus told this story, the people that were listening to it did not just sit there and say, well, Jesus, this is a nice story. Thank you so much for telling us. There are several elements in this story where the crowd that was listening to Jesus, I'm sure, was saying, Jesus, this is weird, man. Why are you saying this? Let's look at a couple of them. In verse 11, Jesus said, a certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. 
So he divided to them his livelihood. Here's the first place. If he had two sons and the estate was going to be delivered to the sons, the way it worked in Israel was uh, the law of the double portion. The older son was supposed to get two-thirds and the younger son was supposed to get one-third. How many second, third, fourth, and et cetera born chi children here today are glad we're not under the law of the firstborn here in America? Okay, We're not, but they were. But the way this reads, even in the original and, and even here in English, it almost sounds like he just divided it in half. The crowd was saying, Jesus, what, what are you saying? He just gave this boy half, the younger one? In other words, more than he should have received? And then it says, after not many days, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. Even though he had, it would seem, we could imply that he had a firm identity. He has a good father, and we're going to find out later in the story, a very good father. He lost that identity. He willingly gave it up to the temptations, to prodigal appetites, to all kinds of pleasures and things in this world. And with all these goods, probably too young to be able to deal with that kind of wealth, what happened? He wasted his possessions on prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land and he began to be in want. He was rich coming into this situation, but losing his identity made him poor. And the world, the flesh, and the devil took his identity and gave him another identity. The crowd that was listening to this story is about to really hear something very unusual and strange. He went and joined himself to a citizen of that country and sent him out into his fields to feed swine. Now, i got to prepare you for this. You guys be the crowd for a little while here this morning that Jesus was telling this to, and we got to practice something you got to say when I read this verse, and it's this. Gross, man. Okay, let, let's practice one of those here this morning, right? Everybody do it. Gross, man. Okay, here we go. He joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him out into his fields to feed swine. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, here in the Midwest, we love swine, right? I mean, South Dakota, Iowa, Nebraska, swine are awesome, right? Because we make money raising them. But over there in Israel and with the law of Moses and the Old Testament code and, and all of that stuff, they thought pigs were terrible. But it gets worse. He would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate and no one gave him anything. He wanted to eat the pig's food. <laughs> oh, man. How bad can it get? Now, even you guys, if you have a, if you have a hog farm here, I'm, I'm, even you have to admit, that's pretty bad. This kid wanted to eat the pig food. Oh, my word. Nobody gave him anything. But, verse 17, hallelujah. When he came to himself, he said, see, total loss of his identity. Eating pig food, 
totally out of money in a foreign land. Nobody's doing anything for him. His identity is gone, but he remembered. There was a time when I had my identity with my father. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? They aren't even sons in the father's house, and they have way more than I have now. He's remembering what it was like in the identity. And he said, and I perish with hunger. <laughs> I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Friends, that's called repentance. That's what he vowed to do as he stood up and realized, wait a minute, I had my identity, I let it slip away through my choices, through my decisions, through my issues. But somehow he knew inside of himself that identity was still available. Hallelujah. And he arose and came to his father. Now here's another part of this story where the crowd is really, really amazed that Jesus would say something like this. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him. What does that imply? That implies that the father is standing by a window looking out, the, out of the house hours of the day just in case this son wanted to come back and get his identity back. Listen, in that day of, uh, that Jesus lived, Jewish fathers did not do that. <laughs> they were of a much more legalistic type of mindset. I'll tell you, if that boy comes back here, he better become bowing and low, and he better crawl and grovel in here, and maybe we'll throw a few crumbs on him to keep him from starving. Not this father. This is the extravagant father. This is the, father, the good father. This is the father of lights who's being depicted here in this story. When he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. Let me translate that. I had my identity with you before, Father. You were a good father to me and I left and I squandered the goods and I lost my identity. Look at me, I'm covered with pig stuff. And I stink. And yet you're grabbing me and you're holding me in your arms and you're, you're putting the, the ring on my hand and the robe around my shoulders. That's what the father said in verse 22. Bring out the best robe and put it on him. <laughs> what kind of identity does this father give when you come back? He doesn't take an old used moth-eaten robe. Well, here, cover yourself up with this boy. We'll get you by. Bring out the best robe. Put it on and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. This is the guy that squandered the estate. 
This is the guy that's got his brother so torqued off he won't even come out to the celebration. But the father, not the brother. If you're trying to get your identity from a brother, please stop right now. Whether you are a man or a woman, don't get your identity from your brothers. Get it from your father. Now, brother relationship to brother is a great relationship. I have four brothers. I'm the oldest. I really enjoyed being the oldest, by the way. <laughs> Those of you that have an older brother know what I mean. <laughs> brothers are great. There are all kinds of wonderful things you can do with your brothers. You, you, can, you, can, you can fight for one another. You can challenge one another. There's all kinds of things you can do, but don't get your identity from your brother. It's not going to work. Get it from your father. He wants to give it to you directly. Then what did the father say? Bring the fatted calf here and kill it. You see, they didn't have freezers and refrigeration and all the kind of stuff we had now. It took a whole growing cycle, a whole year actually, to get a fatted calf ready. And when you killed the fatted calf and roasted it and, and got ready, I mean, this was a major party. This was the major event of the year. Let's bring the fatted calf and let's eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, hallelujah. And he's getting his identity back. That's the amazing thing. Everyone scream right out loud, tell us a story, doctor. Tell us a story, doctor. All right, I'll do it. Also, tell your neighbor he's trying to close. Tell your neighbor that. Key word there is trying, okay, yeah. Um, a precious couple from your congregation here came up to me in the foyer this morning and gave me a wonderful testimony about my second son, Nate, who came here with me. I believe it was the first time we ministered here, Pastor Tom. It might have been. Uh, it's a while ago now. And Nate prayed for you guys, and now you, have, you couldn't conceive, and now you have two children. Thank you for sharing that. But let me give you a little backstory on Nate. Okay. Nate was a prodigal son. Nate was not an outward, outwardly rebellious prodigal. He was a stealth prodigal. Okay. He just could do stuff and get away. His brothers would always get caught, but not Nate. He was and he was smooth and he was not not evilly deceptive, but it just was, he, he was such a nice guy, you would never think he'd do stuff like that. <clears throat> that kind of prodigal. And uh, I cried out to God for him. And uh, in fact, we had a prophecy over our family. I'm going to tell that story tonight in the service. Please come back at six here tonight. We're going to have an amazing time. But Nate 
became a partaker in that prophecy that was given over our family. And one day I was praying for him. How do you have your heart turned, fathers, to your sons and your daughters and have your sons and daughters' hearts turned to you? How does the prodigal son come back? How do they lose an identity and get it back? Well, here's how it happened with Nate. And I'll try to be brief. I was praying for him, and the Lord took me into a vision. And in this vision, I was up in the air, about maybe 200 feet up in the air, looking down. And the scene I was looking down on was a place over in eastern Wisconsin called the Wolf River where I took my boys many times to fish and recreation with boats and all that kind of stuff. And I'm looking down, and there's the Wolf River. I'm like, dude, it's the Wolf River. You know, I mean, and there's boats anchored in, in the current of the river. They're nice and straight because they're, they're in the current. And I'm watching it. I'm looking up and down the river, and right under me there's this one boat that draws my attention. And I look at the occupant of this boat from 200 feet up in the air. It's the devil in this vision. The devil is fishing on the Wolf River. I never knew that before. <laughs> I wouldn't have gone there. No. <laughs> the devil's casting his line out in the water. He's having a great time. He reels in his line. Oh, he caught another one. And all of a sudden in the vision, my eyes go to the back of the boat. And here's this yellow stringer. It's tied, goes up over the transom, and it's dragging in the water of the river. My eyes follow the stringer. And the stringer is hooked through the jaw of my son, Nate. He's dragging behind the devil's boat in the current of the river like a caught fish. I wept that day when I saw that. The Lord showed me his true condition, showed me the true loss of his identity. And I cried out. I said, God, you've got to save him. You've got to bring him back. And many other people were praying for him, too. Well, uh, soon after that, I was at a place where Nate was. He wasn't living at home at the time. And I got a yellow stringer. I believe when God reveals something to you, I believe you need to take action on it. That's what I believe. So I got a yellow stringer. I didn't tell him any of this about the vision. I just said, hey, son, I want to give you this stringer. Just put it up in your room. And I had already done a similar thing with his brother, my third son. I'll tell you about that tonight. But he took the yellow stringer and he put it up in his room. It was a prophetic symbolism of what God was going to do because the stringer that he put up in his room was empty. Hallelujah. Nothing was on it. <laughs> Long story short, Nate moved back home, and one day we were having family prayer meeting in the living room, and I just walked past his room in the house as I was walking. I didn't think he would do this. I just threw out a comment, hey, Nate, we're having prayer meeting. Come on down. I, didn't, I honestly did not think he would. 
because he was in the prodigal lifestyle. But I got to the living room. There was Sherry and Dan and Sam. And I turned around, and here's Nate behind me. I'm like, whoa, hallelujah. <laughs> and then the spirit of prophecy came on me. And he stood there, a prodigal. And I prophesied over him. And he received it. And he fell down on his knees in our living room. And this is what he said. He didn't repent that day, but this is what he said. He said, I love you guys, and I love what you're doing. And the next Sunday, I was out preaching somewhere, and Sherry went to our home church, Redeeming Love Church in Maplewood, Minnesota. And Nate went with her. And Pastor Mike preached an awesome word that day. And Nate went to the altar and repented there. Hallelujah. Came all the way back in. Got his identity back to the point where he could stand in this church and pray over you guys and see the power of God move and give you a family. I, I can't tell you what that does to me. The grace of God, the mercy of God. That was God's identity. That was God the Father's mercy and vision for Nate. The devil had a whole different vision for him. Party animal, getting drunk, blah, blah, blah. Honestly, when my, my sons were prodigals, they were amazing prodigals. They were famous in the party, young people's party world of eastern Minnesota because my two sons took on eight guys to defend a girl, a girl that was drunk, that was, that was going to be totally violated by gang raped by this guy. And my two sons, uh, with blood all over them, defended that girl, at least in their prodigal state. <laughs> they knew to do that. I mean, that, that's the kind of stuff that was going on. It was amazing, and Nate's all the way back, hallelujah. And today, I'm telling you, Nate is married to a godly woman. they got two kids of their own, hallelujah. We're getting grandkids out of the deal here now, hallelujah. What a God, amen? He's a good, good father. Let's stand up together, please. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Friend, the temptations of the world, of the flesh, and of the devil will take you where you don't want to go. It'll keep you there longer than you want to stay. And it'll have you doing things you didn't want to do. But there's a father that loves you. A father that has acted so that your identity could be returned and restored and given back. An identity of goodness, of peace, of joy, of truth. An identity of love, whether you're a son, whether you're a daughter today. I declare this truth to you. Friend, if you need today to come back, Maybe you haven't gone that far. Maybe, maybe you've just gone a little ways. Or maybe you've gone all the way and being a prodigal. Maybe there's some, just some other kind of issue that has caused you to say, I, I, this whole God thing, I can't really draw near. Friend, I declare to you today that he is drawing near to you. If you will draw near to him, he'll come to you completely. 
and his love and his power and his forgiveness and his mercy. If you need that today, would you just raise up your hand right now, wherever you are in the house, just raise your hand up. Let me see it. Hallelujah. Just raise it up. God bless you. Anyone else? You just need to come. You just need to come to the mercy. You need to come to the love. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. All right, I want to ask you to do one more thing. Those of you that raised your hands, would you just step out? Just be bold right now and step out and come on down here to the front. We're going to pray together. We're going to let the Father's love just be released here in a great way. God bless you, dear. Come on down. Bless you, dear. Come. Amen. Yeah. So maybe you didn't raise your hand and you know you need to come. You can step and come too. There's love here. There's mercy here. He's not going to condemn you. He's going to forgive you. He's going to restore you. That's the name of this church. I love the name of this church, Pastor Tom. Restoration Church. That's what he does with this love. Hallelujah. All right, well, I'm going to give this mic back to Pastor Tom here. Would you guys stay right here? I'm going to come down and pray with you. And uh, it's going to be amazing. Hallelujah. encourage you if you have not been prayed for yet and you'd like the opportunity to be prayed for or you want to find a place around this altar just to kind of soak in the father's love it's so present here today and if you're fighting against it i'd encourage you to find a place just to kneel before him come all the way back if you need to be dismissed i'm just going to pray just going to ask that you dismiss quietly. Let this be a place of prayer for those that want to spend some time in prayer before they go today. Don't forget, come back tonight at six o'clock for service. And so, Father, I just thank you again for the love that you have lavished on us. Thank you that you never once have treated us as our sins deserve. And yet you are so rich in love. God, you are so rich in mercy. You're slow to anger. I pray that today that you would help us to be rooted in that true identity that comes from you. Father, I pray for each one in this room. God, everything that keeps us from fully grasping, fully understanding, fully living in that identity to be broken off of our lives in every way. Father, do a deep healing in every life today, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.